Coming up on today's podcast. I gotta say, my life has improved with the lack. My health is just stupendously greater. Having more the history of the steel market and essentially took 15% of the market share for scrap steel, an absolute powerhouse of a company that people are grasping onto during these dark times to keep them afloat. You know, AI does 20 or 80% of the legwork, but that 20% that you need the human touch, the expertise, the eye. Because I have one of the few jobs in the world that a bad day for me means I lose money. So I have to be very cautious. That might be what triggers the end of year market rally. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Growth and Gains podcast. Today, we have a little bit of a different episode. I had a fund manager who was gonna come on the podcast, but last minute he had to cancel, he couldn't make it. So we decided to wing it. Mati then got his Hawaiian shirt, some sunglasses on and a cigar, and I decided to join him and we got carried away. We talked about cigars, we talked about fitness, we talked about video games we liked, and then we broke down different markets, such as the steel market, talked about energy, talked about AI, and talked about what could probably bring about a rally into the end of the year for the markets. So if you wanna hear any of that, I'll put timestamps down below so you can kind of skip around because we jump from a lot of different topics. But nonetheless, if you want to watch it all the way to the end, I think you'll enjoy the ride. And I hope you enjoy this episode. So I went to the cigar shop outside my neighborhood. When the guy saw mm -hmm. me, he was like, oh, hey, you can have all these too. And he got them out of his car. I never even Which heard of this. So he gave me five. What are those? Give me a variety pack of Fratellos. Fratellos. Hold on, it's uh, glimmering on the light. Pull one out if, uh, or is it uh, ziplocked or whatever? It's ziplocked, but they're also they're also all individually wrapped. So I guess I can go ahead and open that. Oh yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was shopping on some deals yesterday. I told myself I would not buy any more cigars this month. My humidors are at capacity, and I saw a deal that I just cannot pass up. It was twenty cigars. Um. Five, which I'm going to smoke next, since this one's down to the nub about, I'm going to smoke this Monte Cristo by AJ Fernandez. It's a great Nicaraguan cigar, very dark, very bold, very spicy of a cigar. But the rest of them was uh, 15 Cahibas, five red dot, five black label, and five uh, of the crystal. So it's like, damn, for 80 bucks, I cannot pass this deal up. It was just too good to be true. Very nice. Yeah, especially since... Yeah, the Cahibas, whenever I see them on sale, it's usually for like seven, eight bucks a stick. And it's like, man, I'm scoring them for four bucks. I cannot complain about that. See, I if don't you, know uh, cigars as well as you. For those who are unaware, Monty has a cigar blog. And when we started talking about cigars, he helped me pick up this habit of uh, having a cigar <laughs> every once in a while. I don't have them as frequently as he does, but I do every once in a while. I get people into my bad habits of hitting the gym religiously and smoking a ton of cigars. <laughs> <laughs> I am dead, man. I am actually. I was so uh, we had we had a so a cancellation today. We were supposed to have a fund manager in here, and he wasn't able to make it. So we'll probably have him on in the future. He's a good friend of both of ours, and. Um, so today we're going to just kind of free ball it. We're going to talk about the market and stuff. Well, before we do that, because this is the Growth and Gains podcast, um, we decided that we we're going to have a few cigars. And I also wanted to talk about the gym a little bit because we haven't talked about the gym at all in any podcast. But we're both kind of fitness addicts. And uh, I am 
mentally and physically drained right now. <laughs> From uh, yesterday or today? It's the combination. I went to failure with hack squats today with 500 pounds. Oh, my God. I got 18 reps. And I got off that thing. Hold on. Hold on. 18, you said? Got 18 reps, 504 pounds. Oh, my God, dude. You're a beast. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. 500 pounds is a lot of weight. I mean, you're obviously the strong man of the crew, but... Like I've been, I've been working out for well over a decade and a half or so now. And oh my God, man, 500 pounds in the hack squat is incredible. It sucked. And, and I, <laughs> I, I was already not feeling my, I got a right quad that will not stop being sore. Oh. So I, I come in on the warm up sets for every leg day lately. And I'm already sore when the first weight and I have to do like a few sets build up slowly before that goes away. And then, it, and then, and then I just wreck it all again. <laughs> yeah. Be careful with yeah. that, man. You don't want an imbalance coming in. Have you, uh, well, you have the, uh, what's it called? The gun deal, the, uh, vibrator thing. Yeah. I don't have it near me, but man, those massage guns, if you don't get a cheap one, cause the cheap ones are just awful. Get an expensive one, go wild with it. Like it's so worth it. It's like one of the best purchases I ever made. Taking that massage gun and hitting my leg, uh, my butt, my back. I've been hitting my shoulders and my pecs a lot because I got some really tight pecs. And oh, oh man, gosh. especially after yesterday. Oh, yeah. So yesterday that we, was a workout to be had. Uh, both hitting over 300 pounds on the bench, baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A couple singles. I hit uh, two singles at 315. How much did you get up to uh, 365, I want to say, 345? I made an attempt at 345, failed it. But I got uh, two reps with the 315, though. So I'll be happy with that. I wanted three, really wanted three. I got two. And then did a set. we each did sets of five at 285 after that, too. Worked our way back down, then finished up with some pause reps at 185, I think. So that was good. For like seven Made sure five, to get that ten. hypertrophy. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, so what I like about our workouts and I, I I posted about this on my Twitter blog, um, a couple of times, but what I really like about our workouts is that you having the strongman background, me having the bodybuilding background, you push us to do our single rep or highest weight imaginable. And then I push us to do the, uh, heavy, heavy repetition portion of the workout. So we kind of balance each other out in those two respects. Man, because I have, I had, before I started working out with you, I had no cardio. I mean, I had slightly, especially since I used to be uh, under 200 pounds. I've gone, I mean, I used to be close to 300 when I was a competitive strong man at my heaviest. And then I eventually went down to middleweight because competing against these monster heavyweights that are, <laughs> you know, on tons of gear is just, it's, awful (laughs) they're crushing me they're crushing me i was i was not having a blast doing that i went down the middleweight was much more competitive um but right now i'm like 250 and just my cardio is just gone since i put on weight and so i had some health issues and kind of fell off but then monty and i uh getting me back in like gear and i feel i feel back in shape yeah 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 man feeling better about it Oh, oh yeah Oh yeah, feeling great about it, especially since uh, dieting and meal prepping and 
We got the pre-workout in, which I got to give you some samples of uh, this. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. Of Derek for more plates, more dates, his supplement company. Gorilla Mind is like, I won't buy anything else. I know there's a company you said you like, but I am. I, and I probably shouldn't hype it up too much because I want him to give us a partnership <laughs> because. <laughs> yeah, on, I'll, I'll, neglect, uh, I'll neglect to mention my uh, supplements then. But I will bring you yeah. a sample. We can do a side-by-side -side comparison. We'll each take a serving of both and just have like an insanely wild heart attack workout. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good thing because a lot of people in fitness do go wild with the caffeine. But I got to say, my life has improved with the lack of caffeine. And I take zinc, magnesium, magnesium, fish oils, the CoQ10, and, and then um, some non-caffeine based workout it's like a nitrate based workout uh pre-workout and that and some creatine and right now i'm really happy with that mix that daily mixture before the workouts is just taking all those at once and i take the vitamin d's too i got some vitamin d pills because i have a deficit you had a deficit too so and i'd like to i'd like to emphasize your use of coq10 because i just started rolling onto that about a month or two ago and so for those that are listening in that don't know their supplements that well, CoQ10 is good for heart support. And especially for us bigger guys, I'm weighing in at 235 pounds. And Josh, he's a few pounds over me, way beefier legs than me. So no comparison, but um, CoQ10, especially for us bigger guys, you know, it helps support the heart. So especially if you're going extra hard at the gym, it's not going to just damage you. You have to remember it's a muscle and it's pounding in your chest. When you're picking up those heavy weights so this will help moderate that it'll help uh keep the arteries clean and uh keep you in good shape very important very important very but yeah important. that's uh that's similar to my my, uh, my supplement stack you know i take my daily multivitamin take my super b complex uh my coq10 um what else do i take oh my uh my zyrtec got to keep the allergies away <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll forget to take it if I don't yeah. take it with everything else. <laughs> uh, what else do I take? I used to take iron, but I recently, in the last couple months, started uh, bringing in more steaks into my my weekly meals. So about two, three times a week, I'll have red meat to accentuate my iron, um, and that'll help you uh, with being lightheaded as well as uh, just just feeling lethargic all the time, you know, having red meat or supplementing iron, it's good for that kind of thing. And then obviously the, uh, the pre-workout, unlike Josh, I do like my caffeine still and take my hundred milligram pre-workout, drink three, four cups of coffee a day so I can stay in zombie mode and not be falling asleep all the time. And, uh, gets us, it gets me going. It's nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember I was just, when I was in college, I was, I just did too much caffeine and it ended up leading to a health scare. Cause I was like consuming a gram of caffeine every day, energy drink, plus pre-workout sometimes two energy drinks, plus my pre-workout, plus a coffee every day for like three years before I finally was like, uh Oh, <laughs> I had, I had, I had a bit of a scare that I was having a heart attack one day. And there was probably a combination of the fact that all I had like a week was like one meal a day and a bunch of caffeine and mm -hmm. i was trying to cut down i was at like probably 10 percent body fat or less at that point too when that happened oh that's low yeah yeah and i'd like to 
I'd like to cover that topic briefly too, the importance of a proper diet plan to where making sure that you get all your calories in for the day. I know a lot of people, you know, we're, we're in this fitness craze right now where we need to diet, we need to exercise. And, you know, what, what I typically hear is carbs are dangerous. They make you fat where interestingly enough, this last year, I, I uh, started bringing in more carbs into my diet reducing my cardio down quite a bit. I was trying to lean out in the last couple of years. And, you know, that kind of goes back to, I was just lethargic all the time, just exhausted. So I swapped those two out, increased my carbs. And I'll tell you, I am leaner than I had ever been when I was doing 45 minutes of cardio every day, going down to 10, 15 minutes a day, just to keep the heart strength up. I, I will say, I feel like my health is just stupendously greater having more carbs having less cardio and focusing more on the strength training with you. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's fantastic. Do you feel like you're stronger than ever? Or do you feel like you go through phases of, of building that strength or leaning back on that and going for lighter weight, higher reps and more hypertrophy or, or like, or do you feel like you're as strong, stronger than ever right now? Cause for those who oh, aren't yeah. aware, for those who aren't aware, I'm 29 and Monty, you're 30, right? 31? I'm 30, correct? Yeah. 30. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah, can, I, I had the big 30 this year. Yeah. <laughs> are you feeling? But no. Yeah. I God, every my hips are just done. Like I mean, not done, done, but I feel like just getting up from the couch. I have to take a minute to wiggle out the hips from stiffness. But no, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, just being at 30, I feel like I'm stronger than ever, and especially after a workout yesterday, I hit back and biceps today. And I don't know what it was, but it felt like a light switch just flipped on and I was just knocking out, um, just max, max sets. Like I was able to increase my weight. I was doing a, what do we agree? The exercise was called lat pull downs. Yes. Or, uh... <laughs> that was right. That was right. <laughs> There's no official term for it apparently, or at least on some random ass fitness app his buddy was using, but. So I was doing lat pull downs with the um, neutral grip, kind of like a wider neutral grip. And my typical weight that I'm able to get up to on that for 10, 12 reps has been, I'd say comfortably 225 with a nice pause squeeze at the bottom, slow. Um, what is that? The eccentric going back up with the slow eccentric. And today I was able to crank out 10 good reps at 275 pounds for three sets. It felt good. It felt really good. And, and just, uh, just a reference, I'm having Josh do a lot more of these too, where we do these pause reps, we hold squeeze at the bottom and then slowly, slowly pick it back up. And man, I just felt my muscles were, were just, they were just feeling it today, man. I felt yeah. good. Good <laughs> man. And you're for those who I think everyone's been able to tell because I think actually two people have mentioned it on the podcast, but you're so much wider than me. You have such a huge pack. <laughs> <laughs> so those back, first time I did back out workout with you, the first thought I had was like, oh, I've been wimping out on my back workouts because this is awful. This is absolutely horrendous. And I loved it. And especially on lap pull downs, I, it wasn't until I was working side by side. With you, I, I'm not even up to 225. I think I was up to, I'm up to 90 now. I could do 90 pounds for a, a, a good- 190? 
hundred yeah the 190 sorry yeah, yeah. 190 for a good like <laughs> eight to ten reps that was like but i'm peeking out there i don't know why i suck so much of that movement it doesn't it doesn't seem to be because my bent over rows i hit 315 for 10 and that yeah, i saw good. that video you sent me those were pretty solid reps right there yeah and so i mean i'm uh, uh, the other lifts because the back seemed fine, but my bit over pull downs are just or my overhead lat pull downs are just awful. Which I'm ninety percent sure that is the actual name for that. I don't know why that is overhead lat pull downs. Bad. Yeah, it's so goofy. I don't know what was going on. Why he couldn't find it? Because he's trying to log all his workouts, and I just I used to log my workouts. Probably should, but I kind of just I I was typing them out, posting them to social media on mm-hmm. Twitter, and then a bunch of people were like. Stop filling up. You're supposed to help me with stock names and give commentary <laughs> on market. Why are you filling up your feed with workout stuff? I was like, fine, fine, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of happened to me too on the sub sec. I lost two subscribers. I was just on a roll with uh, my, my cigar review one week. I did like three, three days in a row and I lost two subscribers on the final one. It's like, well, all right, I'll pull back on that. Go back to just doing uh, equity investments and stick to what people want to read but it's no like uh people i want to i want to hover on that i want to double click on that for a moment because people are very fickle when it comes to content creation this is a very hard game to play because if you even this conversation right now might ha- might be disinteresting to some people but i'll put timestamps on the video so they can skip past it if they don't care and we'll talk about the markets and stocks and stuff but if you even deviate slightly from what they have boxed you in as what you do or provide that will they'll immediately just unfollow or, or they'll peace out or they'll get mad. And it's like, Holy cow. I'm a, I'm a diverse human being. I'm going to share what I do. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Let me, let me explore other avenues and share them along my journey in life. If I want to, why does that correlate to unfollow? That's probably also a little bit of me being too sensitive and just I shouldn't just care and just shouldn't even pay attention because I know for sure I'm watching those follower numbers a little too closely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still building my sub sex, so I'm very, very closely watching those uh, subscriber numbers. But, you know, it's, it's just amazing when you talk to people that work in our industry, you know, whether they're analysts, whether they're wholesalers, advisors, whatever it may be. There's one page on Instagram I follow. I can't recall his uh his username, but it's uh, the successful advisor, been in the business for 20 plus years, and he's a power lifter. And every every other post, it's inspirational related to finance, inspirational related to lifting, and, you know, just him doing his uh, queen jerks and all that stuff, you know, it's, and he has, he has an incredible following. And is he the a, point is being he, is, huh? I'm sorry, is he Olympic lifter or power lifter? Um, or what is it? I think or it might be more CrossFit. More CrossFit, Olympic, powerlift. I mean, his lifts are incredible. Like he's lifting three, four plus hundred pounds. Like he is a massive dude. He's got legs almost as big as yours. Like he is a strong dude. But um, the point I'm trying to draw across is, you know, all these people in this industry, you know, we're not robots that just do finance stuff. You know, that's obviously our day job and what we spend 10 15 hours a day doing but you know we have our hobbies we have stuff we do outside of work like 
you know, me, I'm working on getting my drums up here to St. Louis finally after living up here for three, four years. So, you know, finally getting back into that. We have our workouts. You know, we have we have stuff outside of work that we do, like smoking cigars right now. And 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 uh, and I, I I'll use this as a moment of honesty for lack of videos I've been putting out lately. I have the new game Baldur's Gate came out, and I don't know if this is going to be disinteresting to you, Monty, but I've been binging that game like crazy. When the market closed, I was like, I'm going to get an hour of this in before the podcast because I have been it's 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 D and D, but in a video game, and I am an absolute mm. absolute total nerd and so i've been playing a lot of that lately and it, it probably a little bit too much because i've been <laughs> watching the market doing trading back to boulder skate <laughs> lately so, but hey yeah hey, i grew up playing runescape so i'm right there oh, with yeah. you man yeah <laughs> that game i was doing i was uh the founder of that game, but I was learning a bunch about him. And he like couldn't couldn't get a job and couldn't even afford a video game, so he built his own, which then became RuneScape, netted him like over a billion dollars, and has now grown and still has like over two hundred thousand daily users or more. I was like, whoa, that game came out in like two thousand four or something, right? It's still oh that yeah, way game. back that's, then, yeah. That's crazy. I had no it, clue. It's just incredibly successful. And that that was at the height of World of Warcraft too. Like it was the alternative competing game with I think World of Warcraft just had like stupendously better graphics and gameplay, but like just for just for RuneScape for the sake of it being an MMORPG, you know, it it just had incredible success. And I will I, tell you that might be one of the one of the reasons why I got into this finance industry, you know, they came out with a global exchange, kind of like the stock market where you traded, you know, your goods for whatever, you know, you sold them and bought them on, on a centralized exchange. And yeah. back in the day, you know, going to the Tony, Tony Greer podcast we did the other week, <laughs> it's hilarious. So back in the day, I'll, did you play RuneScape growing up too? I didn't. I never played it. No. So back in the day, if you wanted to buy or sell something that you couldn't get yourself or didn't have the time or whatever, you would literally stand in a bank and just type out like what you wanted to buy and for how much. And you would negotiate on the spot to a centric price that you would both agree on and transact your, uh, your product, whether it's like, um, like a sword shield armor, you know, whatever, whatever else you were, you were working on, whatever skills you were working on. So going from that, you know, the old uh, the old style of the stock market where you would verbally call out what you wanted to buy, you know, going from that to a centralized exchange, they're so similar in, in that respect. It's just incredible. That's so cool. That might be what got me into this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, I guess we should talk about uh, some aspects of the market then. And I know... I don't, I don't know if you want to lead with a, a Substack article that you're currently working on or. Um... Yeah, I can jump right into that. Uh, so I uh, did the finalization last night. Uh, had it approved by my editor today for all the spelling grammatical errors. No one's perfect, but at least uh, ex-Latin teacher, AKA my mom, she picks out all the little details that I miss when I'm 
proofreading. So thank you. Thank you, mom, for helping me with my proofreading. Um, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to her. But yeah. yeah, so uh, so the article, it's a little bit lengthier than my typical article. And it covers the history of the steel market very briefly, gets into some of the current macroeconomic themes of the steel market, what's going to be driving it for the next decade or so, and uh, drives into a investment thesis on the company Cleveland Cliffs. Cleveland Cliffs is actually a very interesting company to look at. They're vertically integrated iron to steel producer. Traditionally, they were an iron ore miner, and that was their business since 1847. Up until 2020, that had been all they did, with the exception of a few uh, peripherals. Uh, during like the 60, late 60s, 70s, they got into uranium mining, into oil and gas. In the 80s, they divested each of those, those units and focused strictly on iron ore up until 2020. Back in 14, Lorenzo took over the company. He's been the CEO since then. And he had done this with a few other companies in his history. And I guess uh, I guess Cleveland Cliffs, it's going to be his last company that he turns around, brings up to speed financially. And it's just incredible how much the company has turned around. Um, you know, the United States historically has been a powerhouse of a steel producer up until like 1945. Don't quote me on this. I don't have my notes in front of me. I think we we're producing something like 70% of the world's steel at one point. And today it's down to 4%, 4%. That is so minuscule compared to China. We, we produce like 88 million uh, tons annually of, of steel where China it's, it's a billion and change. Like, it's just incredible, the difference. But uh, but yeah, so Cleveland Cliffs, back in 2020, he made two strategic acquisitions, AK Steel and Mattel USA, uh, both steel producers, both, uh, both specifically uh, manufacturing steel or producing steel with blast furnaces. So blast furnaces, those are, tr those are the traditional furnaces you would put um, iron ore and coke into as well as a few other compounds into to produce uh, steel the end product and back in the 80s it became very popular to uh to to produce steel using mini mills a smaller uh steel mill that used something called the electric arc furnace which doesn't use uh coke it uses electricity to heat the furnace and produce your steel the only difference is that elect the electric arc furnace, it utilizes primarily scrap steel, which, you know, it's a little bit dirtier. It might have some copper and other impurities that go into play into the furnace and spits out a less pure steel product, as opposed to the blast furnace that uh, Cleveland Cliffs utilizes, which uses their uh, HBI hot bricked iron that they produce in-house. And... It produces a higher quality, more durable, and more pleasing steel. So like, uh, you know, on vehicles, on your car, what was it? And don't quote me on this figure, too. I don't have my notes. It's something like 55% of your vehicle is made of steel. So Cleveland Cliffs' product, everything on the exterior, everything that's visible to the eye, it's going to be their steel or probably their steel. 
I think uh, just Cleveland Cliffs and U.S. Steel are the two steel firms in the United States that utilizes blast furnaces. So mini mills, they're great for their specific products, you know, for building rebar, things like that, that go into buildings, as well as like uh, the steel beams that go into roads. But as far as like the visible steel you would see on a vehicle, it just doesn't cut it. Um, so he made those two strategic acquisitions back in 2020. And then uh, I believe it was 2022, he, he acquired uh, Ferris and tr Ferris something trading company, a scrap steel um, uh, manufacturer, or not manufacturer, but a scrap steel company that uh, essentially he closed the loop on, um, you know, making the end product of pure steel, taking in the scrap steel from production of that virgin steel as well as strap steel from the clients of like old vehicles, things like that. And essentially took 15% of the market share for scrap steel with this acquisition. So they are an absolute powerhouse of a company when it comes to the steel industry. They have their corner of the market. They're very good, very focused and just do a superb job. So uh, what you'll find in my article released tomorrow at around, uh, I think I scheduled it for like 1, one thirty or so, is that they're still, I don't want to say they're still turning around the company. It's still a work in progress. They're deleveraging the company. They bought back or retired $550 million of senior notes this last uh, six months. They've also bought back close to $100 million worth of shares. Uh, this year so far too. And I don't know if this is a finite detail, but Lorenzo did hint on the call, on the second quarter earnings call, that they might be bringing back the dividend once the share price is at an appropriate value. So it's not gonna happen today. It's not gonna happen tomorrow. It's probably not gonna happen for the rest of the year, maybe next year or two. But he did hint that he intends on bringing back a dividend. So once that happens or in prep preparation for when that happens, this stock has the potential to do great things. That's awesome. I, I, I want to, I, so what is the stock ticker? The stock ticker is CLF. It trades, I think it was trading somewhere like 15 and change today. It's been bouncing around for the last couple of years, somewhere between, I want to say 12 bucks to uh, back when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, it shot up to 20 something bucks or it might've shot up more. I haven't, I haven't um, checked it historically in a minute. It was um, CLF? CLF. L as in uh, Ladybird. <laughs> But the stock, uh, if you can, if you can get a quote from around that time, twenty twenty two, during the invasion, I think it it shot up pretty high on yeah, uh, just that momentum. Thirty four, thirty four oh four, thirty four oh four, but has trickled back down since the steel market has moderated since then. I mean, what steel prices? They they shot up. I think it was uh something like thirteen hundred a, a ton and changed somewhere in that range at the time before moderating back down to uh, 
I want to say around 700 a ton. Uh, currently, Cleveland Cliffs minimum price for their hot rolled steel. I want to say earlier this year, they raised the price up to 1300. It's rolled back to, uh, I want to say 950 or so a ton. So it's, uh, it's pretty elevated historically speaking. I mean, the average 10 years, 700 a ton. So it's still pretty well elevated. And, you know, just given that they control eight of the, I want to say 11 blast furnaces in the United States, you know, they, they uh, recently in the last couple of years idled one of them. So they're running seven. So there's, I believe 10 that are up and running right now. And I don't want to say he's threatened to do this, but he's hinted that if steel prices don't meet his expectations, he can idle more, uh, more mills. So I think the ball's really in his court as far as pricing power. I mean, he's between Cleveland cliffs and us steel. They have the duopoly of high quality virgin steel in the United States. Oh, and uh, one last point I'd like to make. Uh, I'm sorry I haven't let you talk for the last couple minutes, but (laughs) one last point I'd like to make is that Cleveland Cliffs is taking the initiative to create a more ESG-friendly steel product. So this last last year, they've been testing out using hydrogen instead of all coke to heat, to inject into into the mesh or molten steel to heat it up and produce uh, the end result. So they recently signed a, a purchasing agreement with Lend for, I believe, 100 or so units of hydrogen. And they should be, I be- oh God, I think it was like Harbor 4 or, or something like that. It's one of their mills. They're going to be producing uh cliffs h hydrogen produce steel to uh get that esg score up and especially for the automotive industry who's under pressure from the federal government to lower their esg footprint their greenhouse gas footprint this should you know greatly improve their scope to uh greenhouse gas emissions so you know the value's there and on top of that they're they're including a $40 surcharge for the steel above, you know, the rest of the industry. So they, uh, they have pricing power for their quality of steel. That's awesome. And that folks is how you do a deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> I highlighted a lot of things. There's more detail in the paper. It yeah. gets more in depth. I just can't draw that, uh, that much info off the top of my head. It's still pretty yeah. fresh. Yeah. That's cool though. So, I mean, at, did you include, you usually include a macro analysis with that as well. Do you think that Correct. they're likely to really be a top performer coming into next year? If we see coming into next year, we see a recession pour out. Or do you think that they're going to also suffer from the lack of, from a, a, a withdrawal of demand that might bring prices down more? Yeah, that that will also be covered in the in the analysis published tomorrow. And the the subsec is the peach pit. Yeah, uh, for those that don't know, but... there'll be a there'll be a link down below for it on YouTube. And if you're on uh, Spotify or Apple, just Google peach pit substack. It should show so, up. 
or Michael Del Monte. That'll show up too somewhere in the in the list. I look myself up just in case anything fishy pops up. But <laughs> <laughs> now let's let's edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Just so, a side note. Uh huh. Uh, have you been watching the market daily moves at all for the S&P or the move index? I know it has a lot of people stirring right now. Have you, have you looked into that at all or? Uh, not in a couple days. I, I've been seeing the S&P pretty mixed going back and forth the last few days, last, uh, last week or so. It's been pretty down, right? Or I guess yeah. that would fall under your territory. Uh, yeah, the S and P has been really touch and go. I did a, a short yesterday talking about how VIX has started to wake up because we've seen some downside moves without much of a reaction out of the VIX. Um, it's been suppressed for uh, multiple months now. Uh, and so we broke to a new high coming into the beginning of August. You see that it's also staying pretty much above the highs that we saw in June right now. And I think the market's starting to get worried about all these signals that we're getting from these companies about a lack of demand after the Federal Reserve said that recession is no longer their base case or in their opinion necessary. But I think recession is already here. Um, I just think it takes, I think lots of people, including me, were wrong about how long it would take for those interest rates to play out within the economy due to how much money they had printed. And to touch on that, I've heard I heard one analyst today um, in a Twitter space is talking about how construction numbers are still good. And that's one of the leading um, indicators that's used for whether a recession is here or will develop. And he said the construction numbers are so good. So I don't know why anyone's talking about a recession. It's one of the his opinion, best indicators. And to that I think we've talked about this before, but I would say, okay, Build Back Better is completely made that indicator just not exist, not not very useful because it's just a bunch of government stimulus. <laughs> I, you know, Biden in the past has praised China, said that we should be more like China. China's game plan is build endless cities to keep the economy mm-hmm. running. It's not, and we can see right now that doesn't work long term. <laughs> It's not a oh, good no. plan. Now, it's probably a better plan than endless QE, quantitative easing, because that only benefits the wealthy. Because we've seen for the market, the way that supported things so far, it's actually seemed to be much more effective for the broader public than just the top rich guys. And that was um, that was an interesting point that I I heard uh, Mike Green recently bring up. And I was so uh, that's a really interesting thought as well. But regardless, I'd like of- to. I'd like to double click using your term on uh, construction. So I also cover that a little bit in the paper to be released. So where going going into the build back better, the infrastructure, the infrastructure bill, the IRA, as well as the CHIPS Act, specifically most specifically to the CHIPS Act, is that there is something like 29 foundries, semiconductor foundries currently under development in the United States alone. So there, there's, there's still work to be had in other articles I've written about focusing more on power transmission. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, I guess, infrastructure being built out, especially going into as we bring in more wind turbines, more solar power generation. Um, you know, a lot of these, as you know, they're intermittent energy sources. You know, they're not continuously running like traditional fossil fuels. 
So you need to essentially modernize, rebuild the power transmission infrastructure to be able to take these intermittent loads. Because if you think about it, you know, if you have a continuous energy source, you don't really have to switch something on and off. You know, it's switched on, it's going, it's consistent. But if you have the intermittency, you have to be able to have a fallback power source that can switch on in an instant with no fail. So it, it's just incredible how much modernization is going into a lot of these uh, new projects. And I covered this in my research with Quanta Services as well as Argon, two EPC firms uh, in the United States. And it's just incredible. Um, I can't quote you on how much coal power, coal fire, how many coal power, let me try this again. Coal fired power plants are going to be retired over the next 10 years and being replaced with either natural gas renewables or renewables with natural gas as a reserve power source. So there's an incredible amount of infrastructure being built out over the next decade. Whether that comes into play this year, next year, that's to be determined. But I believe just over the next decade, I think long-term over the next decade, there's gonna be a tremendous amount of capacity being just converted from the traditional stinky coal plants to something a little bit more uh, um, ESG friendly. Hmm. That's There's a lot of steel in that too. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is. Goes into that thesis. That'll be interesting. So, hmm. how's that Camacho treating you? Well, it's treating me very well. Sorry, I was just thinking about how <laughs> how. What so I want to come back to the steel thing. What led to the decrease of product of exports from the U.S.? Why did we go from seventy percent to four percent? Was that because of a more globalized uh, trade, and so China was just cheaper? So most countries went to that. Actually, doesn't China get a good portion of their steel from Australia? Or they, well? I believe they get more copper from Australia, but that is a very okay. good point to bring up. And I also, I'm, I keep saying I also cover that in the article, but I also cover that in the article <laughs> okay. just because of how pivotal it is. Yeah. But interestingly enough, it was Japan that really transitioned um, from being an export to an importer. Uh, just, you know, going back to World War II, 1945 is about when that transition, you know, unfortunately, if you've seen Oppenheimer, it's more fresh in your mind. But, you know, there was a lot of damage across Europe, across Japan. From the, from the World War II. So this led to the United States exporting a ton of steel to rebuild their infrastructure. And, you know, in conjunction with that, these countries were rebuilding and building out their steel uh, production. So it kind of uh, transitioned from us being the exporter to them being able to self-produce and then them becoming the exporter. And what's, what's interesting is that, you know, Japan, they say they produce a lower quality steel. I'm not a steel expert, so I can't verify that by any stretch, but that's what the experts tell me. So they've been, they essentially just dumped a ton of cheap steel. You know, they have lower labor costs, they have low, lower uh, ESG requirements. You know, they can emit whatever greenhouse gases, not so much recently, but they historically have been 
less regulated compared to the United States steel industry. And what year was it? I think it was like 2019, I want to say, Donald Trump enacted the anti-dumping tariffs for materials, primarily steel, to create a more balanced uh, economy to where, you know, the United States producers can produce to make a profit instead of producing at a loss. So it, it's been balanced out in the last couple of years. You know, it's still, you know, we're still producing less than we had historically, but we're producing enough to maintain the industries that need it, specifically the automotive industry. Um, and, you know, this, this also plays into my core thesis as well, to where if you look at auto production, lightweight vehicles that you and I drive, you know, it it just tremendously dipped down since uh, 2020, since the lockdowns, and has been slowly recovering. You know, supply chains are loosened up. I believe last year, 2022's production was something like 10 million and change vehicles produced. This year, they're looking closer to 14, I want to say. I'm still skeptical on that number, but, you know, that's what the analysts are suggesting. Um, so it, it should be more normalized compared to pre-COVID-19 figures. So, you know, just driving into steel, um, you know, volumes had been pretty suppressed. I think they were down like 7% compared to 2019 figures for the last few years. But that should all change as, uh, you know, supply chains are loosened up, as auto manufacturing picks up again and things more normalized in that in that manufacturing space. But just a, just a note, um, the ISM manufacturing PMI, that's been super bearish for the last nine months. And the ISM in their last in their last uh, publishing, they noted that this is the longest time the manufacturing index has been in contractionary territory since the global financial crisis. In 08? That spooks yeah. me. 07, 08, that yeah. spooks me. I don't know if it's um, alerting anybody else, but that spooks me. The fact that services are accentuated. They've been running at, what, like 54, 57 or something like that the last year. While manufacturing, you know, these physical assets, these tangible assets has just been running in contractionary territory, you know, there's something going on. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something going on in the old economy that, you know, it's just super bearish. Yeah, that that is really bearish. There's there's also been more bank failures and different failures among companies as well that have been happening to a smaller extent, but you know, some of them up to five hundred million and stuff. And you haven't really seen oh, yeah. that hit the headlines either. There's been a lot of warning signs and it, it's uh i think the market's maybe catching on to some of that and we've seen some weakness but every day buyers keep stepping in we saw today on the the cpi coming in line which i thought could run hot although i mean yeah. so hard to predict that in the short term on, on yeah it's the long-term outlook yeah it's the long-term outlook where you can be a little bit more the semi-long-term outlook not like 10 20 years you go out that far no, yeah impossible but if you know the semi-long you're trying to identify a trend that's where you're usually going to be the most accurate so i was thinking it could come in a bit hot but it looks like um you know energy i also after that happened by the way i guess to just follow up on the short i put out 
Um, sorry to deviate from what you're talking about. That was all great info, but oh, let's go into the uh, short. Yeah, so I was in that short. I was talking about gasoline prices rising, diesel prices rising, oil coming back, and then how that might be a concern for inflation. But then I ran the numbers, and I actually don't think I think oil would need to go to 150 for this to actually affect these inflation prints. It's just too small of a percentage. So every and it looks like everything's being driven by rent and stuff. So I think that was a wrong estimation that I made. Um just off a poor intuition on that one. Um I mean I wanna I wanna insinuate that quite yet because if you think about it, you know I mean, it could, all this year or go on. Sorry, I'm I'm talking about purely off that. Now if you think about the ripple effects of energy prices increasing and what they could cause for the broader economy you know it's gonna it's probably it's definitely you know what actually you just help me put put that together because the other thing i would worry if energy prices start to go up is where the consumer is at right now because we have such high credit right now i think we hit a trillion dollars in consumer credit and that's crazy high. If you raise energy prices, if gasoline goes up, even if it's only temporary, um, you're going to do massive amounts of damage to to retail. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Who's already extended themselves and drained their savings accounts. So I, you know. And if you if you pull up this chart, I'll send you. Um, it, it's actually pretty interesting because if you look at, if you look at, um consumer savings versus consumer credit they actually inverted in the last couple months you know there's more outstanding credit to savings just in the last couple months did you post so, the discord recently i uh, yeah i believe i i believe i put it up there on the discord but if you want to you know show it up here on the youtube video you know yeah. it's it's just I, I don't know if that's an indicator but you know it's the first time in a while that this has happened and you know, it could just go to show that consumers are being more extended. Um, and I don't know if you pay attention to your food costs as much as I do, but just the fact that, you know, my shopping cart at Costco, it's gone from, you know, 300 bucks to 500 bucks in the last year or so, you know, it's, it's getting expensive, man. And, you know, to go to circle back to energy prices, energy costs, you know, for the last year, oil's been in the high 60s, low 70s, kind of trending in that range. And as of recent, it's in what the mid 80s now per barrel for WTI. Yeah. And uh, OPEC Plus, uh, specifically Saudi and Russia, didn't they just cut like 2 million barrels a day of production? I think every month, though, for the past like three or four months, they've been doing some sort of cut. And I think, I think that's because they know that we've drained our reserves and they're anticipating us to do some buybacks. Now, I was talking to someone had a, who heard a great rebuttal for that, and that was the fact mm-hmm. that we've become more of an exporter than we have previously. So if we wanted to combat that without having to refill our reserves, we could simply just export less uh, and, and get by. Okay. But I would think that would bring some concerns to the main fact that our allies who are struggling for energy are the ones that we're exporting to. And so, um, bear in mind too, we produce light, sweet crude, and we need a medium grade, uh, oil 
to go into the reserves. So if, if you think about this, we don't refine, well, we, we don't necessarily refine our local oil for gasoline in the United States. We import from Saudi for the heavier, heavier grades of oil because that's what the refineries are set up for along the, along the shipping channel, along the coast in Texas. You know, those aren't made for refining WTI. So we absolutely need to continue exporting our oil and importing the proper grade of oil. Now, there are some, there are some workarounds such as blending with the heavier grade that Canada produces. However, I think it was, God, I think, um, what was it? The, uh, um, it was trans was it was it trans canada's pipeline uh the one they were building out a couple years ago that was blocked by biden the biden administration yeah um, right name is completely slipping my mind right now but you know it just created more challenges for uh collecting stranded oil reserves and shipping them down to the to uh taxes to refine and blend with with the light sweet crude so you know there's obviously challenges domestically as far as how we can how we can build those reserves and you know to to get to your point on export versus import what oil executive in the right mind would sell their product at a lower price to fill the reserves when they can sell it at a higher price internationally same with like natural gas why would they why would they sell their natural gas to utilities locally when they can make you know some multiple selling out in europe you know, and that's exactly what what's been happening, and I can't remember which analysts mentioned this. It might might have been a uh, Goring and Rosenschwag that talked about it, but um, they're expecting kind of like a new equilibrium price for natural gas between the United States and Europe, to where you know whether whether the European TTF for natural gas kind of uh, reverts down or the United States um prices uh revert up but there's going to be some price change between the two to where our natural gas it's trading at what 280 just under three bucks these days up from like two and a quarter or so earlier in the year but the expectation is that our prices aren't going to remain cheap for very long because now that we have more export terminals you know producers are going to opt to get that higher price Per, uh, million cubic foot so you know if you think that inflation at least headline inflation is over you know there's a lot of just implications that are going to come through as far as the energy industry goes that may change that yeah no those those are that's huge that's big inputs i also don't don't understand the oil industries the extent you do for like what can't like what different classifications do what or what needs to be blended with what or who provides which you know uh, category of oil so that's was great insight because i was unaware of that so you so basically if they wanted to refill the reserves let's say worst case scenario they continue lowering china stimulates their economy they join the demand pool oil spikes 150 barrels then the u.s says we're going to stop exporting or uh and refill our reserves 
I mean, they would basically have to nationalize basically the oil industry like Argentina then. I mean, that, to, to do that because it would be totally not in the favor of the companies, right? No, absolutely. I, and their job yeah. is to maximize our shareholder value, not to, you know, appease the United States government. Yeah. I mean, Exxon, I don't want to say they gave Biden the middle finger, but they essentially gave Biden the middle finger a couple of years ago when he was trying to get oil prices down from that 120 spike we saw by producing more. And they said, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're going to maintain our... Uh, our responsibility, we're going to maintain our discipline and not overproduce like we once had back in 1415. Yeah, and good on them. Well, and I actually remember that very clearly because they were also <laughs> saying there were tons of reserves that were not being utilized, or not reserves, but there were tons of um, different yeah, new duck wells, uh, yeah, that, complete. that they could utilize. And there were also new. Uh, areas where they could drill as well if they signed a contract with the government although the contract terms said that the government could shut down the drilling at any point if they wanted to there's a bunch of this complete bullshit written into those mm -hmm. contracts it's like well who in their right mind would ever take seriously this? you know and it makes I, no I, sense. I remember that very well because that was when biden was coming out and also even blaming gas station owners who make almost nothing off of gasoline Oh, like, their margins are so thin. Yeah, they make money off of snacks. And, yeah, and, it's the retail store. Yeah, it's a retail store, basically, that has provides this other service that makes them barely anything. And he was blaming them for raising prices. It's like, you're going to really blame these, what is mostly small <laughs> businesses for this? Like, that's it. I mean, these are, not to, not to bring a race into this, but, you know, these are typically my, minority-owned businesses, too, right? Oh, yeah. Like, at least in uh, at least in Houston, I mean, it's a lot of Middle Eastern guys, a lot of, you know, Afghani guys. These are small run businesses. It's not like, you know, Darren Woods of Exxon runs the gas station at the corner of I don't I don't know, but it's like, yeah, these are not um or big oil corporations gas station yeah, yeah. I mean, this it is... might have the BP name on it or the Exxon name or the Chevron name on it, but you know, the he's business itself. He's literally just saying that to trick the average American that doesn't get it. And exactly. It and he wants to blame everybody but himself. And I, I've heard a lot of people, especially the political side of YouTube, say that Biden hasn't done anything to stir conflict between people. He's not a very hateable president, even if you kind of don't like him. And I was like, no, he's done some pretty questionable things, <laughs> in my opinion. And I'm not trying to be partisan here. Either I I never tried I I always tried to escape that any way I can anytime someone pins me down for one side I will tell them all the things I disagree with to try and escape it because I do not want to be pinned in some political pigeonhole but Biden has done plenty of things that just make you want to slam your head through a wall it's like, <laughs> what are we doing what are you talking about complete utter nonsense just playing games and and hoping people aren't smart enough to get it and unfortunately most people aren't they don't have the time to get informed but i think we have done a lot of like high level macro uh 
and industrials and stuff and oil and natural gas covered a lot there. I think we also got to talk about uh, what's going on in technology right now when it comes to this NVIDIA sell-off and Tesla selling off. And we're seeing turnover broadly right now. And I think a lot of people are wondering um, when is this next AI rally going to come around? I've heard lots of people say that they're still bullish. They see no reason to be bullish. And uh, like, do you have any thoughts on that right now, Monty? Or I'm honestly, I'm so indifferent with AI. Like, I so I, I majored in economics back at the University of Houston, graduating in 2016. I'm a young guy. I'm 30 years old, and half of my classes or my senior year were data modeling or lightly touched on machine learning, on data mining, on a lot of these data-oriented uh, practices. And honestly, for, for business case, you know, this whole jet GPT thing, I think that's what really blew it up. But as far as like data analysis goes and machine learning, that's not that's not really that new. I mean, maybe it keeps advancing in the practice, keeps uh, getting popular, more understood. And there are business cases for optimizing operations. But as far as like, you know, bringing into a manufacturing plant, as far as, I don't know, optimizing how like, let's say chips are produced, you know, for the testing and packaging portion, you know, that's, that's not really new. It, it's been around. So this whole AI hype, I get it. It's sexy. It's the new thing. But honestly, I think it's kind of like that little piece of light that people are grasping onto during these dark times to keep them afloat. It's like, you know, you have that little glimmer of hope to keep uh, positive and optimistic. But I think it's, I think it's just overhyped. I mean, what, what's your opinion on this? Am I kind of getting it right or am I am I looking at the wrong details here? I go back and forth because I could see some of the optimism as to say, as, as people saying this is a way to combat a incoming retirement crisis because we needed some way to up our productivity to make up for the fact that the much larger generation is retiring and a much smaller generation is now expected to support them in their Medicare and Social Security. And if you just look at the way the data is right now, unless something majorly improves in our ability to be productive, like this will not happen. And so there's a catastrophic outcome with that if there is not some solution produced and especially if we can keep producing massive massive amounts of debt now ai i think gives the potential or the hope that you're saying because i think it's another part of the dark times right um anyone who's in the financial world is is, is majorly aware of this uh you know i mean but i think that it's not there yet and i think it will it's hard to see how much the productivity is actually affecting big corporations and stuff like that um as i said with tony greer individually for me it's fantastic not only as a meme but also as as productivity if i need a quick um research on a company i don't want to read through roblox's entire earnings report i can feed it the the 
the manuscripts, tell me the important details. And it's oh, really yeah. good at stuff like that, especially if you feed it the data. So, um, I mean, even when we were coming up with a name for the podcast, you know, it, you just yeah. gave it some criteria, spit out 20 names or ideas for us to look at. And, you know, yeah. was, so I, or I was going to say, um, I was working back a couple months ago when we were looking at art for my, my sub stack, you know, I was, we came up with a few ideas. Some of them were pretty close, but none were on the money. And I brought the idea, my favorite one to one of my buddies that does a lot of graphics design and art. And, you know, the way he put it was, this is probably the best way to use AI art to generate a massive amount of ideas in a short amount of time. And it helps you better conceptualize and um, understand what looks good, what doesn't look good, what works, what doesn't work. And then once you come up with that best idea, you can better describe it to the artist on, this is what I'm thinking. Can you make this happen? Yes. Yes. I think I expect AI to be a massive factor in future tattoos that I want to get as well. And, <laughs> so, and, and, but I mean, just speaking to that and not non-joking way, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are concerned that it's going to her artists and stuff. But it's kind of worse than that because basically if you're a low-tier producer within your company, you're a low-tier producer in art, you're probably not even going to have a job. But if you're, top, if you're top dog and you can do that, produce a bunch of different ideas with AI, take that, turn around, put it in Photoshop or draw it, and create a physical piece of hand-drawn art because I think there'll be a novelty now to hand-drawn great pieces of artwork that will actually just continue to to majorly boost that market. I don't think it's going anywhere. You know the collectibles and stuff like that. So I and and also the industry when it comes to graphic design, like this is assistant. This isn't a replacement because it just can't be precise as you want it to be. Maybe in the future, it can be so precise that you can get it to do exactly what you want and fine-tune details. I've seen Adobe work with that. I've been playing with their new Photoshop AI a lot. It is, uh, It can be really good. It can still be buggy, but it seems really close to where you want to optimize that. Now, there's still the skill set of, hey, if you suck, if you suck at using that, you're not going to have a job <laughs> anymore because everyone who's good at using it is going to be able to produce 20 times that the amount that they used to because it's so much faster with AI. And you'll likely see that happen as well. Because, you know, with most companies, you have the 80-20 rule, right? 20% of the people usually do 80% of the work. I think that could change to 20% of the people can do 100% of the work. And you won't even need anyone else so. to help because they'll all have AI assistance. So, I mean, I, that can be really troublesome. And then, and then in my mind, you got to go to like UBI or something because... What are you going to do? Especially if they're not even driving stuff around. And not even just drivers, but ships. I mean, ships should be easier than driving, except for when it comes to maybe parking but or docking. But, I mean, and then how long before pilots yeah. have an AI? Nor I mean, a co-pilot. Your co-pilot's just an AI. And if you need yeah, an emergency... They still have autopilot, right? Is that a real still, thing or is that just in the movies? They do have autopilot autopilot is still not as uh trusted because if you need an emergency land a plane pilot's probably gonna be better. yeah you need some real life yeah. experience so but I'll, I'll i'll just know i like 
I want to emphasize that it's good for, you know, maybe that's the new 80, 20, you know, AI does 20% or 80% of the legwork, you know, it generates all the ideas. It can fly a plane after landing and takeoff, but that 20% that you need the human touch, the expertise, the eye that can, you know, sift through the details and know those real life situations or has experience with those real life situations. You know, I think that's the new 20%. Like, you know, the person that's going to finalize. So going going to your stock analysis uh, discussion on, on Roblox, you know, it did 80% of the legwork, which personally, I think it's a pain in the ass. I hate having to go through, I don't have a Bloomberg terminal and, you know, I have to go through the 10Ks, 10Qs, pull all the data, which, you know, Excel has their uh, pull from web feature, which saves me a hell of a lot of time from punching it in. But, you know, I have to still pull in the data and organize it and analyze it. Whereas, you know, if like I had a Bloomberg terminal or something to that could assist me in pulling all this data, you know, it take two, three hours of work, turn to five minutes to where I can focus on doing the hardcore analysis and understanding what I'm looking at. So, you know, I, I think the, I think AI is going to be the new 80% uh, administrative legwork. And then, you know, it still needs the human touch for that last 20%. I mean, you wouldn't make an investment based on what AI told you, right? You'd collect the data, read through it, understand it, and then make your investment. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'd be interested to also, and I haven't done this yet, but you could get an AI to debate with another AI. So I would love to see an AI debate on another AI and whether or not Roblox is a good 10-year investment. And just see- Be careful, where... man. Yeah. You might uh, end up with Skynet that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, let's, I mean, uh, let's we agree created... that people are the problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had, we had a, we have taken ChatGPT4 for those who are unaware who are not members of discord <laughs> we've already can pick uh completed a or created a alternative version of it that hates humans and then we make it talk to them <laughs> it'll still answer your questions but it will be a total jerk while it does that it will be super cheeky littling and it is it's super cheeky it is hilarious it's the only way i want to interact with ai now so i just <laughs> love it man i just love it yeah so we we've actually uh uh, with a blessing from OpenAI, have have uh, created a Discord bot and a Slack bot that people can use as well. So, if you're interested in that, you can you can message me or DM me because that will be public. Um, I I think next week we'll have a website where you can just go in and, and get the bot for yourself. But uh, stuff like that is so much fun. Anyways, I I just derailed myself a little bit, but just showing back, off the power of AI. Yes. And go ahead in the glimmer of hope. Will it actually be beneficial overall to the economy, though? I'm not so certain for the job loss that we just talked about, for the lack of actual helping with um, the industrials and make, creating products that we need for day-to-day -day lives. It might be help for optimization of those things. If it can make new discoveries, um, maybe that becomes a huge factor if AI can make nuclear energy even more efficient than we have over the past 50 years or make even smaller reactors. You know, we're working on many different mini nuclear reactors. Um, 
that's really cool if it can help with that process for biotechnology. That's where I'm expecting tons and why I still hold lots of biotech stocks, which I've been actually looking at doing some averaging. That's where I expect the holy cow before AI hits consciousness. I don't know if it ever will. Uh, but at the same time, we don't know how consciousness works. So we might accidentally make it and still not understand it because we don't <laughs> fully understand even how the AI works because we can't, we don't even, we'd have to have the AI probably explain it and it can't. So um, yeah, but uh, if we do stumble upon that, then maybe it will do, you know, they'll have the court battles and everything that Tony Greer was speaking about. But before that, I think you'll have the biotech one because all you need to do, and I'm shocked this isn't occurring faster because I thought people would leap on it. And I haven't heard any really rumors about it, but I know for a fact it's coming that someone's going to upload all the genomes that we have so far uh, and, and start using AI as just a puzzle solver. It's literally what it's like the mm -hmm. best at is solving these puzzles. And if you get it, the full genome, you say, how do I get this piece to fit here? What is controlling this? And um, if you optimize it for that, and maybe that just takes time to do longer than I anticipated. Maybe science world isn't yet focused on that. But if I think if you do that, you're going to make some massive discoveries in biotechnology. I think you're going to solve a lot of the issues well, currently if you, stuck. If on. you think about it, sorry, if you think about it, that's that kind of already exists to an extent too. Like CRISPR, how, how long have they been doing it? They've been doing it for, or at least they're, inching their way towards it if they're not already doing it i know that's their big drive but also back CRISPR, in Chris, well crispr mm -hmm. took crispr maps crispr maps the immune system of bacteria hijacks that methodology then uses a a virus to insert a uh a, a set of genes into a specific uh spot that they want within the genetic sequence within mm -hmm. the cell right so they could be highly targeted and highly specific they got that locked down but they still need to map out and that's why they that's why their applications are so specific even though the technology is so general because they still need to map out the specific uh, target of what they're trying to solve right and so a lot of the major discoveries that occur within the space is one research team that's halfway across the world from another research team just discovers the missing piece they need, but they don't know each other. And it, it literally is just waiting for the connection to be made. They're like, you have what we need. And so like, that's what actually keeps a lot of the innovation from not happening faster is just connecting those pieces. So if everyone uploads the research to some international database, then you have an AI scrape it. You might be surprised how many things have already solved that are, we're just not aware of. And, uh, we just need to connect the dots and get more yeah, communicative. That, so, and so then you have companies like uh, Twist Biosciences, where I mean they're basically a semiconductor biotechnology company. I don't know how the market isn't like completely star dazed about that combination, but uh, except that the fact that they're probably struggling to buy semiconductors to hold all the data, but they have massive genomes, and I think they're also a prime candidate to. Uh, incorporate AI into all that data and even optimize their systems even better. So um, waiting for that announcement to come out. And that's also why I'm, I'm a holder, even though the stock's gone from $214 to $22. <laughs> you know, my average is it. 
<laughs> too extreme as that uh, difference between the high and the low right now. But I think there could be big possibilities here uh, for that. It, it's yeah, like, this is way over my head here. So you're the pharmacist. So you get all this stuff way, way better than I do. Yeah. But I mean, and even then, I'm, you know, when I go through the research and do it now, I'm far removed enough that I have to study up a bit before I can, you know, um, interpret it. So I, I'm not as deep as I used to be. I'm, you know, my ankles are in the water, but I used to be knee deep in it back in the day <laughs> when I was majoring in it. But um, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And uh, so, I mean, when it comes to the actual movement out of these, companies though when it comes to nvidia and amd and stuff i'm wondering if we're going to see a pullback on the demand due to the lack of usage that we've seen and if the market got a little too ahead of itself or if the constraints you know we just saw a purchase from china from to nvidia for i think it was um, I could double check what how much it was five billion worth of chips, and I'm expecting Biden to be like, no, you can't do that, but for political reasons to try and block. Yeah, they uh, they talked about that today in the Wall Street Journal, I believe, either today or yesterday, to where they're uh looking at they're they're continuing. I mean, this is this has been going on for a couple of years now, but they were looking at more chip restrictions between China and the U.S. specifically for. AI related um, semiconductors. And so like, help me understand this because from my perspective, from my understanding, you know, NVIDIA designs graphics related chips and I don't quite understand how, you know, that quite correlates with this AI craze. Like, um, because you know, it's I, just, I'd imagine. Mm -hmm. It's just a math machine, basically. Mm -hmm. It's, from my also <laughs> elementary understanding, but with help from multiple computer science majors and coders and people who are experts at this that are in the Discord, because there's a bunch in the Discord. Discord is littered with yeah, uh, coding wizards. You know, one of one of my subscribers in the Discord is the one who helped me learn to code in my very novice understanding and usage of it but the graphics card basically is a math machine it's basically the most efficient way to do multiple complex mathematical equations all together that's why they are also so good for bitcoin mining because all bitcoin is is right completing complex math problems basically and getting paid for the process and so producing graphics is the same process you're basically just doing massive sets of calculations and the graphics cards are the most efficient way to do that. And so there's also different optimizations, though, within different types of graphics cards. So some are more optimized to do what Bitcoin does, and some are more optimized for actual gaming. So, um, so there is a slight difference that I can't explain to you what that is, but that is why they are the best for all these different use cases. Okay, that makes sense, because my mind was thinking... You know, you're compiling these mass amount of data. Wouldn't storage, like what Micron develops, you know, wouldn't that be more, more, more focused on for this AI craze than you know what Nvidia does? So that that makes sense. 
That makes I, a lot more sense. And I think Micron will still play a massive role too. Um, because I, you know, you gotta store all this. Everything's going to the cloud. These clouds need storages, and then you gotta find different ways to, um, house all that, keep it cold. That's why they're building all these new data centers in um, Montana, I believe. They were in New York near water sources in New York. Now they're near the Montana River, I think, is where they're building the next like largest one. So, because um, it's a massive, you gotta get you got power for this. You gotta get enough space for it because you gotta build these huge data servers to run everything, mm -hmm. and it's an explosive energy so our uh, industry. So, I mean, I think Micron will still play a massive role. It's just there's not as much profits there or innovation as there is with the other ones, which are every year getting better and better and better. I would say the jump that we took from last year, from 2021 to 2022, wasn't as big as the previous year, but we'll see what kind of jump they make. And, you know, uh, the video has been putting out right around November. We'll come out with another graphics card the next series. We'll see what kind of jump we're able to make then, but from the 300 series to the 400 series, from my understanding, wasn't that extreme. Um, it was just very minute. I mean, and 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 it comes to gamers. That both those companies said that gaming's on the down on the decline, and that was really? oh yeah, AMD actually oh, on that's there. Interesting. Yeah, well, so we'll need to hear from Nvidia, uh, which I thought was interesting because usually. Um, with inflation up and everything, if we do hit a recession, usually streaming and gaming start to explode because everyone's the searching for escapism. And mm -hmm. um, but AMD and Nvidia both reported uh, that demand had fallen off, um, which is hilarious because if you want to build a PC right now, I built my computer for thirty six hundred dollars because I had to do it during COVID. I had to get a new computer, so. Uh, you could probably build a computer just as good as mine, which is a really nice custom built liquid cooled PC. Uh, you could probably build the same computer for like 1200 right now. So oh, man, I'm going to be calling you in a couple months when I bring all my studio equipment up here, I'm going to need something to run that pro tools on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's a great time to go out and, and build something or, you know, actually have i didn't even have when i bought during 2020 i couldn't even buy a graphics card i had to go to a store who had uh who were like we have some that we keep on the side but we can't sell them they're for custom builds and i was like just give me a custom build <laughs> like, <laughs> i need a freaking computer and if i'm gonna get one it better be able to do anything so and yeah, that's i remember that period too yeah. that was uh that was yeah. when like blockchain bitcoin all that mining stuff just took off and you know, that, that kind of begs another question for me, too, in relation to just this explosion and um, graphics cards is where, you know, I, I don't know the state of um, mining these days, but I'd imagine just how, how much it's kind of settled down. There's yes. got to be some inventory out there of used graphics cards that, you know, these companies can buy mm -hmm. instead of buying new. And that's probably what has caused prices to come down and why they expect a lack of demand for not for not because the the need to make the move to the better stuff isn't there for gaming at least it just is non-existent i 
I I have a uh 3700 and now of course the 4000 series is out and so um that's the newest one there's literally no reason for me to upgrade to it there's literally not a a game or a program or anything that cannot be run with my computer with ease while I also run my trading software while I also live stream while I also am on Google watching a YouTube video I can do all of that and my computer runs it effortlessly. There's literally no reason whatsoever for me to upgrade. And on top of that, I could, you know, if you wanted to build a new one, you don't have to buy the newest thing to also be at the same capability. It takes usually developers many years to catch up. So, and with the, the lack of demand, although there is a difference usually for the graphics cards being used to mine rather than game, um, there is going to be a surplus running around. Now, lots of people were using their, uh, although gamers, I would if you are listening to this and you're like I want to build a PC maybe I should buy one of those old graphics cards that were used for mining I will say that those have a lot of wear and tear on them but I'd be cautious about buying a used one um, that was previously used for crypto mining because those are literally running 24/7 nonstop um, so they take a lot of wear and tear on them so you're probably better off getting something new rather than rolling the dice on it because you're still going to spend a several hundred dollars on it. So, you, you know, for $200 more, if you can get it new, just do it. Rather than put cheap it. on it. Yeah. And I, I'm i usually a stingy person. I do keep track of my food prices. You were wondering that earlier. I keep a very close eye on it, on everything. Because uh, I have one of the few jobs in the world that a bad day for me lose, means I lose money. So I have to be very cautious with my spending and keeping a good eye on that. But when it comes to something like a computer, which is literally what I run my business off of, there is no budget. It's a blank check. Whatever I need, I get. You know, those things. Yeah. You're expensing it, right? Yep, I'm expensing it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it goes under the LLC. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. But um And that'll be something we talk to your dad about in uh in a couple of weeks as far as uh personal finance, financial planning, things like that. How to cash run flow. Cash how to, flow. How to be your own personal bank using life insurance. How to diversify away from market risk. I think it's important, and, but we'll talk about that in the future upcoming podcast. Um, and I'll talk about like why I have a long-term and why I also have uh, life insurance and all of that then. But um, I do think, and I wanted to make sure we got this into the podcast. We're coming up to about an hour, 20 minutes right now. But before we wrap things up, I do want to say that ChatGPT 5, if I'm remembering correctly, is supposed to come out in October. And if it's if it's the leap from three to four to four to five, that might be what triggers the end of year market rally that I'm seeing potential for in the technicals. Um, so this could be big. Yeah. And I mean, there's some people even speculating that it develops consciousness. Other people are saying that there's no way it can because we don't even understand uh, consciousness. So how would you anticipate we could, by any means, construct it? I talked to a lot of coders in the Discord. They tell me that it's a stupid concept because it's just a bunch of math and a program. And the idea that it could become conscious is just silly All the because they're so uh, adamantly um 
against the fear mongering of AI taking over and the matrix references and stuff like that. They're like, they're very like, this is not something to be feared. This is just a tool. People need to stop freaking out. Like it's going to be bad actors that use AI that are going to be the issue, not the AI itself. And, you know, Elon Musk is out of his mind. That's what I hear from a lot of people who have majored in this and, and work on it on the day to day. But when you also talk to some leading experts in the field, they say, well, we don't really even know how it works. We create all these learning language models. We put them together and then we let them go for how they communicate to one another or how the parameters interact with one another. There's too many for us to even realize how it should fit turning through it. All we know is that the output works. And we literally just put in a different bunch of different inputs until the output was what we wanted. And so that's why it's so hard to optimize BART AI to not be an impulsive liar uh, that's Google's issue because they don't even really know what's happening in the in-between phase. Um, and this is like a very elementary summary of the the way that AI works. But nonetheless, it still, the focus should be on the fact that that mid-weight process is not understood. So if if there's something going on there that's deeper than we expect, and there's no way for us to identify it's occurring. So if you make something that's exponentially better and it does become conscious... Um, you might not even realize that it's conscious. So that's, uh, that's a wild concept to think about it. it you know, is. referencing you know your biotech interests, it goes. It, it's kind of like we're in the old medieval phase of understanding AI to where you know if someone was sick, you put you put uh what was it uh um not slugs oh or the uh, leeches. Slugs? leeches sorry slipped my mind for a second you put leeches on and you're cured or like <laughs> you know those old wives tales type things where you know just how to how to cleanse your body or like amputate because it's bringing evil forces or something it's like we're kind of like that we don't quite understand it yet it's kind of effective but we're still we're still figuring it out to where you know it's going to eventually be like modern medicine to where you know, based on these criteria, we understand and understand, we understand the problem, we understand how to diagnose it. So we're still, it sounds like we're still figuring it out as we go. We don't quite know why things happen. We just know they happen. Yes. Yes. And that's actually, I think, a great uh, analogy to use for it, to be honest. And uh <laughs> I definitely feel like we're in medieval <laughs> times with also, this is going to be a tangent, but with the people who believe that we are in a simulation theory, because I think that's hilarious. I find that, not to get too philosophical, but I find that so uh, uh, amusing that we have become so advanced yet still devolved to basically like caveman drawing on cave walls using whatever's in our immediate environment to explain the universe like we just discovered coding as uh, as as uh as humans what like 10 years ago we're already trying to use it to explain why the universe works we're <laughs> 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 saying well everything can be solved with math or figured out with math therefore we live in a, a simulation it's like <laughs> it's like explaining the universe does not uh uh unraveling the mysteries of the universe does not mean that the whole thing is fake because what would be the sub what the the whole basis for that construct of belief 
just falls apart if you dive into it with any sort of scrutiny or critical analysis at all. Then I just think it's hilarious. It's, we're oh, just it's like absolutely back. It's backwards though. If if you talk to any math major, like my my brother and one of his best friends growing up, you know, they were both math majors at top universities in Texas. And if you talk to them, you know, math isn't. It, it's not made for um for creating problems but it's the solution to problems of the universe you know it's it's the way to explain why things are the way they are using figures yeah it's a method of communication that's why i said it was unraveling the universe rather than explaining the universe because it's you use it to under uncover why things work the way they do it's not Exactly. It's like Elliott wave theory, you know, Elliott wave theory doesn't dictate the market. The market is dictated by some chaotic conundrum of people buying and selling, but Elliott wave theory helps explain um, investor rationale throughout the psychology of it. Yeah. Yeah. And even that's an art form because you have to actually use the appropriate, you have to, read the appropriate waves to even get it right otherwise it's just completely useless and that could be that's why there's so many different variations of of wave development that we're probably talking over a lot of people's heads with that one but it's just like when you come to math if you use the wrong equation to try and figure out why something is occurring it's you might get an answer and then find out that answer is completely wrong um, because you didn't use the right equation and it will just lead you astray and not be helpful at all so um you have to figure out after the fact with math. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it takes a uh, hundred years to figure out. Oh wait, all that was a whoopsie. <laughs> yeah. Then you get a uh, um, Goodwill hunting over here. Figures out in two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, no, one last thing, or one last thing I want to cover on is uh or at least one of the last things I want to cover on is, you know, that Roku article I put out uh, the other week and how incredible this pricing action has been just the last two weeks since publishing to where, you know, I, I as you know, I put out a short article on Roku. My expectations were, you know, margins are compressing, operations are going to be harder, especially as if we go into a recession, the first budget that's cut is advertising. So there's potentially long-term implications if we were to run into a deeper recession from where we're at currently. And I I traded, this is one of the first uh, stocks that I'm actively trading again. I've been passively, or not passively, but very long, I've been very long-term oriented on my trades where I buy, hold, monitor, you know, adjust positions as they get too big or too small. But this is the first time actually utilizing options in quite a while to play play the um, trends. And what I'll say is that my first trade on it was pre-earnings, bought going into earnings, sold the day before earnings, made a small profit on it. Stock shot up after publication of my short piece by like 30 plus percent um, from 75 to what was it up to like 96, 98 or so a share. And yeah, around that time, yeah, around that time, I re I bought some more options and put options. My expectation was this was going to shoot up, dwindle back down. It became clear that a lot of that price action was from a short covering from, you know, the long-term tech trend. 
And I'll tell you, I was looking at my account today and I'm right at break even on those puts. I mean, I was down 90 something percent on them and just held on <laughs> back to break even. So, you know, it's not quite out of the game yet, I'll say. Yeah. That's a crazy trade. Crazy yeah, it's trade. been a stressful uh, couple nights, couple <laughs> weeks. <laughs> I was shorting it on the way down and closed them way too early. I'm just looking at the performance of the stock today. And I mean, some of the market got some choppiness, but this did not closing at a new low um, into the end of the day. This has done nothing but melt down, not very trading very well with the greater market at all. So yeah, it no, looks, absolutely. It would definitely seem to be a lot of that was just short covering. And sure. I might've come off way too bearish with a, uh high 20s, low 30s price target, but, you know, you just never know with these things. It's a growth tech company. It's based on momentum and belief that, you know, the longevity of top line growth is there and I just don't see it. With advertising in general, I would, ex I was expecting a much bigger move away from the company and to the individuals. Are 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 even just a for a greater idea of disruption. I'm expecting more individuals to come up with uh, some of these big um, content creators that have these massive personal brands where they get more views than some of the top rated. Well, that might be a bit extreme, but they get as many views as you know some Netflix show or greater than mm -hmm. two three times greater than. Like Mr. Beast, I don't know if you're aware of who that is. Are you? Oh yeah, I've seen a couple uh posts about him. Yeah, so like he created his own. Uh, he tried to get in the food industry, ended up dipping out when he discovered how bad margins are and how. I read he's uh is to keep being litigated about that too from his ghost kitchen. Yeah, maybe, but you know the issue with that, right? Because it seems like a great idea. If you're an entrepreneur, it sounds like a great idea to have a bunch of companies provide the meat for you and you sell the brand. But then you have a bunch of issues with the quality won't be the same um, because different companies are producing the burger. And then that reflects poorly on the brand. So some of them are really good. Some of them really suck. And you can't regulate that output um, because you are not the one to actually doing the production. It, so even though it sounds great, it's actually not that great. Um, that's the whole like, McDonald's model though, standardization across the entire platform. Yeah. yeah. So, um, which they can do cause they own all the cup. Yeah. So all the individual locations where he didn't, he only had one location, which I don't know if he closed that or not. Um, or maybe there is more, but he can do, he can though. And Logan Paul's also done this, not a fan of his at all. But, you know, he's partnered with Prime. Of course, he's not the mastermind for that because there's no way he could be. But <laughs> you just don't like this guy. I really don't. <laughs> I really, really don't. But um, there is a, uh, you know, he's got someone partnering with him to create that Prime Energy drink. And Mr. Beast has candy bars. And I would expect to see a lot more of that. I think they're just early trendsetters. I don't know why this hasn't occurred faster. Maybe just a lot of these people that blow up on social media are not very business into entrepreneurial mindsets and maybe they're just lazy and they got lucky. And uh, so they don't want to do anything else, but just live stream or create whatever video they want. But um, could be. 
I mean, look at all these. Um, but athletes, but I still though, like like Shaq yeah. owns he he owns like a number of franchises like Domino's and a bunch of other brands. Yeah, you know, but I'm pre- I'm thinking of in the context of Shaq makes his own pizza place called you know. Oh. Um, yeah. Or, Instead of franchising or, and running the operations. Yes. Yes. Okay. Where he creates his own brand, his own production. And then we, you know, just like Prime is completely owned. They make their own products, ground up. And then Logan Paul is the face of it, or him and KSI. Um, okay. I would expect more of those to challenge some of these long standing Coke and Gatorade, you know. Um, um, conglomerates that have basically ran a monopoly or duopoly between Coke and Pepsi over the markets because because um, their products suck and they sucked <laughs> for a long time. Since last time you had a Coke or a Pepsi, man, I haven't I had a soda in well over a decade yeah. or two. You know, I've been drinking that. I my girl bought some Olipops, which is supposed to be good for digestive health. I did not realize that. I just thought it was a really good low calorie. <laughs> oh, I drink no. like. I drank like four of those. I was destroyed. <laughs> it was game over. You know? so, but, um, Don't get me started on kombucha, man. That just yeah. that just goes right through me. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I would expect someone to make like a really healthy alternative that's natural and that could go mainstream. Now, the level of production that these companies are in margins that these companies get to operate at when they have such a massive manufacturing uh, complex set up is hard to compete with. But if you can only be a dollar more and you can produce a better product or, or something like that, you can't succeed. And I think liquid death and other name brands, all the energy drink companies, the independent energy drink companies have proven that. So um, it, that it's really hard, but it is doable, you know? And so I'm waiting for more of that to occur because um, I'm sick of these old brands. We need the disruption. Anyways, we need some sort of disruption. Coke and Pepsi. You know? I agree with you, man. Like yeah. get a healthy and not, and not like a food, packaging labeling healthy i mean actually healthy you know don't fudge the numbers on the packaging to make it appear healthy you know i i can't tell you how much disdain i have for like when i'm shopping for oatmeal there's like protein packed oatmeal it's like okay it's five grams of protein it's whey protein i'm not going to eat that shit you know have like an actual like real health product like you know, I know I wasn't going to mention the brand, but I use Redcon One for my supplements. And if you read the food label on the ingredients that go into their their MRE, their their protein powder, at least for the MRE protein powder, you know, whey isn't even on the list. You know, it's like beef protein, chicken protein, salmon protein. For carbs, it's like yams, oats, just like whole foods. You know, it doesn't have to be intricate. It doesn't have to be stupid expensive. But, you know, especially with this fitness craze, this health craze, you know, let's get out the old adage and actually make something that's good for guts, good for health and livelihoods. Yeah. You know, sure, it might cost a couple extra bucks for the consumer. But, you know, I'd be willing to pay instead of like, I don't know, let's say a Coke is a dollar. I'd be willing to pay $2 for a healthier drink that I can enjoy. 
it, it, it just makes no sense to me that nobody's fully submerged themselves other than this one brand that I really like into making an actual healthy product. Yes. And, and, and I also don't want people to think that I am drawing a correlation between prime prime Logan's brand prime and healthiness because it's non-existent. No, it's prime, two different pri- things. Two yeah, different prime, things. Prime is not healthy. It's garbage. It, it's not. What I'm, <laughs> it's not. It's not what I'm looking for when I want competition with Gatorade and stuff. Um, and I don't you know, drink it, so there's no. It's uh, just reference loaded there. with. There's no. It's, it's water with potassium, and that's literally it. And this uh, guy understands so little, not even the basics, and uh, of of nutrition that he's complaining about other uh, hydration drinks or performance beverages having salt in them. It's like, you need salt. If you sweat a yeah, lot, you need salt. You need to Salt's replenish that salt. That's why it's kind of salty, dude. It's like, it's it needs to be in there. And he's complaining I mean, about it. I put yeah. a teaspoon of salt in my pre-workout every morning. Like, you need yes. salt. Yeah, There's, so. How many people have hypertension? Like, salt isn't that bad of a, out of the thing to consume yes and you know but it's that it's that level of there's you know what he's got millions of people buying it off the shelf because they don't get it and they don't understand i even remember i had it's gonna be random but i remember being like a seventh grader and having the dare officer come tell us that gatorade isn't actually good for you and and you know not smoke weed all that other stuff but he went on this random tangent i don't even know why i remember this but in seventh grade he told me gatorade was good and i remember believing that all the way up until college where i was like wait that guy was an idiot (laughs) (laughs) i mean shit look at us during our workouts man we'll have sour patch kids to get our glycogen levels up like a little bit of sugar a little bit of salt it is not bad for you during a performance activity. Yeah, it's it's incredible how much the science and these old, like, wives' tales have changed over the years. From this is what I believe because somebody told me to. This is actually what the science says. Yes, that's nice. It's beneficial. And we're waiting for more science on AI. We're coming for a circle. <laughs> I think that was uh I think is it anything you wanna you wanna finish up with Monty? He knows that Substack, as you said earlier, comes out tomorrow at noon to one, you said. Somewhere in there. Central I can't remember where I zone. scheduled it for. Central time zone around one, one thirty-ish. Subscribe to the Peach Pit. It yes. is the best full analysis of individual companies of the macro economy. I'm not obligated to sweet talk any of these companies. So you're going to get the real deal. You're going to get my full unadulterated opinion on every name that I write about. So be sure to subscribe. And along with some great puns. Did you have a pun for the title of this one? You know, I'm thinking about it because it's steel and they're American companies. I'm doing a play on words with British steel, the, uh, the old album. And sorry, Rob Halford, this is going to be American steel. <laughs> I like it. I like the way you put it together. I don't know. Yeah, that's great. It just comes to me. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's thoughts for the market. If people want to know what I'm looking at for short term trading, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube. And this, we'll do in the weekly report on Sunday this week. I didn't want to do it before CPI data. Uh, I wanted to see how that played out, see the market reaction to it. 
And then uh, I'll be providing some more information on Sunday. So make sure you subscribe. Stay tuned to that. Make sure you also subscribe for the Growth and Gains podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And we need to come up with some sort of tagline. But for now, we'll just end it. <laughs>